Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Richard Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer your medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc Team of Physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for joining us remotely today. We appreciate that. You bet. Our Prairie Doc topic this week is what we often hear referred to as GI or gastrointestinal issues. So if our listeners have any questions on this or any medical questions, give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, I understand there's been some changes in recommendations for colonoscopies recently. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, so this is really new. Um, So there's been talk of this, Laura, for a couple of years, and and the reason is that in the U.S. we've seen a certain number of colon cancers diagnosed in patients age 45 to 50, which is, you know, earlier than our our previous guidelines suggested screening and that probably is happening at an increased rate but to make a long story short just last week the United States Preventive Services Task Force which is a a large body which sets a lot of these screening recommendations and which by law under the Affordable Care Act if they make a recommendation that's a grade A or B then all insurances have to cover it as a preventive service at no cost. So they came out and said, we think that uh, there's a great B recommendation that patients in that 45 to 50 age group should start being screened for colon cancer and, and no other changes to the prior guidelines, meaning um, age 50 to 75 should continue with screening and, and the typical intervals. But I mean, what that, what that means is that, you know, us as physicians and providers, we're going to want to start that conversation for our average risk patients earlier than we typically have at age 45 instead of 50. So this will be a little bit of a change in practice. Hmm. Yeah, so a change of five years. So now it's at 45. Age 45 is where they're recommending yeah. um, versus age 50. Interesting. Yep. Okay. It, it is. And certainly, you know, like I said, that's for an average risk patient. If you're someone who has had a parent or a sibling who has been diagnosed in the past with colon cancer, um, then then that's actually different for you. You, That may be an an earlier screening recommendation depending on how old they were when they were diagnosed with cancer. But for someone without a first-degree relative with colon cancer, we're now going to start talking about that at age 45 instead of 50 just because there's, there's mounting evidence that that age range might benefit from it. Okay, and then how often um, are we, is it recommended for a typical person to yeah. have a colonoscopy so, once we start doing that? Yeah, for an, for an average risk person um, who, again, doesn't have family history, the, the recommendation was it would be if you have a colonoscopy um, and you don't have any polyps, then it would be 10 years in between. Um, and that recommendation changes if you do have any precancerous polyps 
or if you have family history or other risk factors or, or reasons that we might want to screen you sooner. So sometimes they'll say five years or three years, depending on the findings of that first colonoscopy. Okay. And tell us a little bit more about what a polyp is and um, why that may or may not be concerning. Yeah. So there's different. So a polyp is basically a, a growth or abnormal tissue that's found in the colon. Um, and the, the, the endoscopist, the surgeon or the gastroenterologist that's doing the endoscopy, um, or, you know, sometimes maybe it's your family physician, um, they, they don't always necessarily know what type of polyp it is when they are just looking at it through the camera. So generally speaking, they'll take that polyp off and it'll be sent to a lab to be looked at under a microscope. And so there's various types of polyps. The ones that we care about are called adenomatous polyps, and those are precancerous polyps. Um, if they've been removed, then they're not a problem anymore, but they just kind of prove that you're at risk for growing these precancerous lesions, that if they're left alone over, you know, years and decades could turn into cancer. So if you have those types of polyps, that's why um, it'll be recommended that you have colonoscopy again sooner than 10 years. There are other types of polyps specifically hyperplastic polyps, which also will get taken off typically during colonoscopy if they're seen, but they are not precancerous. And so they may, you know, even if you had a polyp taken off, depending on what the microscope shows, you might still hear back after the fact that, oh, you're good for 10 years again. Okay. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our first break. We'll look forward to talking more about this and give our listeners a chance to call in with their questions. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical concerns you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Shingles, also called herpes zoster, is a painful rash disease. Shingles can lead to severe nerve pain called postherpetic neuralgia that can last for months or years after the rash goes away. Shingles is caused by the varicella zoster virus, the same virus that causes chickenpox. If you've had chickenpox, you can get shingles. Almost one out of three people in the United States will develop shingles in their lifetime. You can get shingles at any age, but it's more common in older adults. Older adults also are more likely to have severe disease. The Center for Disease Control recommends that people age 50 and older get the shingles vaccine called Shingrex. Set an appointment to discuss shingles with your provider at the Avera Medical Group, Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Before the break, we were talking about colonoscopies and the new recommendation uh, to start those um, at age 45 rather than age 50. Um, Dr. Evans was filling in filling us in on that. Dr. Evans, could you tell us more about why we get colonoscopies? What is the purpose of a colonoscopy? Yeah, so for the, the colonoscopy can be done for two reasons. What we are talking about right now is for screening. That means in a patient who has no symptoms, um, that, that there's reason to go looking for, like I said, these precancerous lesions. And that's because colon cancer is a pretty common cancer, and if, if caught early, it's very treatable. 
Um, and we have a good and safe method to catch it early, one being colonoscopy. There are some other options for screening. Um, people have colonoscopies for reasons that are not screening, though, and that those are called, you know, diagnostic reasons. So other reasons that patients might have a colonoscopy could be a few. One might be if they're having blood in their stool. Another might be chronic diarrhea or chronic constipation or a, a major change in their bowel symptoms. Um, another might be anemia. So sometimes the first sign of people actually losing blood in their stools, they don't notice that there's blood in their stools, but we find on their blood work that they have anemia. Um, and so there's various reasons to do a diagnostic colonoscopy, meaning we're actually looking for an abnormality that we think we may find um, in, a, in, in a patient with some GI symptoms. Okay. And so what are some of the symptoms of colon cancer more specifically? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly there are a lot of people who don't have symptoms and and have an early colon cancer found on colonoscopy, which is exactly why we want to do screening. Screening for colon cancer is because um, there are a lot of patients who may not have symptoms, at least in, in the early stages of the disease. Some people will have blood in the stool or anemia as that first sign. So, that's why if you know if you're if you see your doctor and you report blood in the stool or if they find a new anemia and they think it's because of you might be losing blood that's why they'll recommend um, a, a, um, a colonoscopy mm-hmm. because one of those reasons can be a cancer that's just oozing small amounts of blood um, one could be weight loss and one could be bowel changes so you know if, if suddenly you know you're someone who has normal stools day to day and, you know, over the last couple of months, you're having a harder time moving your bowels or conversely, if, if the, the consistency has changed or something about the stools has changed, that can be a symptom. So those are all things that might lead us to push people to do colonoscopy, even if they weren't due for their screening colonoscopy. Okay. All right. Uh, moving a little different direction here. What are foods that are good for gut health? Yeah, this is, so I would say that's like a kind of a uh, broad, nebulous question. Mm -hmm. When it comes to gut health, you know, that that can mean a lot of things. Um, Your gut goes from, you know, your mouth to your anus. And so there's a lot of different processes that occur during that time. So, I mean, there are various problems in the GI tract that we will make recommendations for dietary changes. Um, So, for example, if someone's having a problem in the stomach um, and that that re- that causes too much acid production. So this could be anything from GERD or acid reflux or heartburn to uh, an ulcer. Um, there are some dietary things that are important there. So we tell people to not drink alcohol, to reduce their caffeine intake and, and that kind of thing. Um, if you're talking about, you know, sometimes there's a lot of stuff out there right now about gut health and the gut microbiome, meaning like the, all the, the bacteria that are good bacteria and normally live in your gut. This is a pretty hot topic of research, and I don't know that there's a lot of consensus on it as far as dietary things, but certainly a, 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 an overall healthy diet is also healthy for your gut. So having taking in enough fiber is important for your gut to maintain some regularity. Um, eating fruits and vegetables, that kind of thing is all healthy for your gut. There are some, you know, gut disorders that there are strict dietary changes that we have to enforce. So things like celiac disease um, means that you're, you basically your gut has kind of an allergy-type reaction to gluten. And so um, the people with true celiac disease do need to maintain a gluten-free diet if they want to be able to maintain good gut health. Um, there, there's a diet out there called the low FODMAP diet. 
and this is a little more comprehensive than I think we can cover on the radio, but um, sometimes we'll recommend that for various types of irritable bowel syndrome or other um, sort of facet colon issues. So there's a lot of dietary things that can go into gut health, um, and it kind of depends on the problem. Okay. And so if you're maybe feeling like maybe things just aren't right for your digestive system, um, how where do you start? How do you say, you know, this, something's just not quite working, I'm just not feeling well, or... Yeah. Um, how, where should I you think, start? Uh, yeah, a, tri- a trip to your primary care provider is the right place to start because sometimes nailing down exactly what is the problem. Is it a problem with pain? Is it a problem with um, the actual transit? Um, where do we think the problem exists? Is it in the first part of the GI tract, like the stomach? Is it more of a colon problem? Um, just asking some targeted questions usually can get us to the right place as far as information. And then depending on exactly what problem you're having, I mean, sometimes, there, like I said, there are certain problems that we say, yeah, you, you should probably have a, a colonoscopy or a, a, more, um, a more aggressive sort of workup, such as, like, you know, if you're having abnormal blood in the stool, that's, there's kind of no way around that stuff. That's just not normal. If it's more of, like, an indigestion problem or an irregularity problem, sometimes there's things that we can try with diet or medicine that might solve the problem without having to do more of those aggressive things. So... As almost always on the show, Laura, I think the first answer is to go talk to your primary care provider about it. Excellent advice. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK. And on our podcast, call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. It is important as we age to add strength training to aerobic exercises. These activities will help you build strength, maintain bone density, and improve balance, coordination, and mobility, and reduce the risk of falling so that you can stay independent and perform activities of daily life. Talk with your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings about strength training and get started today. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Dr. Evans, um, how does the gallbladder work, and what is a gallbladder attack? Yeah, so the gallbladder, it's, it's kind of a funny organ. So the gallbladder is connected via a set of tubes to the liver, the liver makes something called bile, and the, the gallbladder's function is really to store bile. Bile helps us break down uh, fats when we eat something that has uh, fats in it. Um, bile helps us break down that, that um, part of the food. So, um, you know, when, when we eat something that has fat, there's usually a hormone that's excreted from the stomach, and it signals to the gallbladder to contract and push some of that bile into our, our small bowel. Um, a gallbladder attack, so gallbladder problems typically happen if that bile starts to create, to, starts to not be liquid. So if the, if the bile forms stones or even if it really thickens up and forms sludge, sometimes that can block the outlet and kind of obstruct the gallbladder when it's contracting. Hmm. So a gallbladder attack 
happens when that gallbladder, which is kind of a smooth muscle organ, is contracting and trying to push bile out, but there's something blocking it. And, and then there's this backup of pressure and, and like happens in a lot of other places in our bodies where it's when there's that pressure, it creates a lot of pain. So a typical gallbladder attack description would be someone who comes in and says, you know, I've, I've noticed that, you know, maybe an hour or two after I eat, I get this pain that's kind of in my, the right upper part of my abdomen, just under my ribs. Sometimes that pain will actually be felt in the right shoulder blade um, because that pain refers backwards. Uh, people might have some nausea and even vomiting with it. In the worst case, if, if that obstruction lasts long enough for the gallbladder to get infected, people will be pretty sick, have fevers and chills, and um, it's more of an emergency. But sometimes that's something that sort of comes and goes uh, in episodes over a period of weeks to months. Hmm. Is a gallbladder attack something we can do anything about to prevent, or is it just something that happens? Yeah, it, it, not. I don't know that there's something that a person could prevent. You know, okay. sometimes if people are having that, but it's it's mild, we may recommend to try and avoid like really high fat load foods. Um, but if you make gallstones, you're at you have the chance of having these these attacks. So you know, if you present to your doctor like that, usually the first thing we recommend is an ultrasound just to see if that because we can see gallstones on an ultrasound of the gallbladder. Um, and sometimes we find them, sometimes we don't. But, you know, if you're having frequent attacks and, and we find gallstones and it seems like it's a gallbladder attack, sometimes the recommendation is surgery, but it's not always an emergency, like I said, unless there's actually the, the fever and infectious symptoms to go along with it. Okay. And then if you have had your gallbladder removed, um, what changes do you see? Yeah, so, you know, most people won't notice at all, um, but there is a percentage of people that will have some diarrhea after um, having their gallbladder out. I don't know, maybe it's about 5% of people that will have this post-cholecystectomy diarrhea, and it probably is just because you don't have that mechanism for having a big bolus of bile coming in all at once. It kind of just trickles in from the liver if the gallbladder is gone. Um, and, and most people who do have that Laura don't have it forever. Um, it might last a month or two and then kind of go away on its own. Your gut kind of figures it out. Um, but most, like I said, the vast majority won't have lasting effects as far as um, GI abnormalities after that. Okay. So your body kind of gets used to it. <laughs> yeah, kind of it figures it out. It's kind of a, it's one of those organs that we, we and ultimately can probably do without most people. Isn't that fascinating how that works? <laughs> Interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about Crohn's disease. What is Crohn's disease? Yeah, so Crohn's disease is um, one type of inflammatory bowel disease, the other being ulcerative colitis. These are unique diseases and they are actually autoimmune diseases of the gut. So it's, it's a disease in which a person's immune system is attacking a part of their gut. Um, in Crohn's disease, that, is, that can happen anywhere, again, from the mouth to the anus. So sometimes people with Crohn's disease will actually have ulcers in their mouth even. Um, but sometimes it's more classic colon or small bowel issues. So some people with Crohn's disease will present with chronic diarrhea, weight loss, blood in the stool, abdominal pain is, can be common with Crohn's disease. Um, and these are, these are not something to mess around with. Most people that have these diseases should be on um, a type of medication that alters the immune system because it, they can cause permanent damage to the GI tract. Okay. 
So if it's um, suspected you have Crohn's disease, it is important to start treating that right away. Yeah, yeah, that's something that in, in the vast majority of cases we don't want to leave. I mean, people, most people with Crohn's disease won't feel good if their Crohn's disease is untreated, um, number one. And, yeah, number two, it can create some, some permanent problems in the bowel. It can cause bowel obstructions and um, some other things like that. So there are things that we want to try and cool down the immune system in the gut if we can. So most often, is it treated with medication? Correct. Okay. Yep, most often it's treated with medications, especially Crohn's disease. Some people with also ulcerative colitis is different in that ulcerative colitis is it's a similar process to Crohn's, but it only affects the colon. So some people with ulcerative colitis, actually their treatment will be to remove the colon and then the, the disease has nothing left to attack. That's just how that mm. disease works. Um, but I, still the majority of people with that disease will choose to use medications first. Okay. And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but celiac disease, tell us a little bit more about that one. Yeah, celiac disease is a little bit different. It's um, it's a, It also is sort of an immune system issue, um, but that immune system issue has to do with gluten. Um, and when, when you have untreated celiac disease, it actually affects an early part of the small bowel such that um, the small gut stops absorbing things well. So sometimes people with celiac disease will actually have problems with they won't absorb nutrients, they might not absorb certain vitamins, they might lose weight without trying to and that kind of thing because the small bowel, which is the organ that does a lot of our nutrient and, um, and other food absorption, um, is, is altered in a way that affects its, fun- its function. And that totally reverses as soon as we take people to put them on a gluten-free diet, their small hmm. bowel goes back to normal. So. Ah, that's wonderful to hear that you can go, yeah. go back. So those people usually don't need medications. They just really need to avoid gluten. Yeah. Um, Dr. Evans, before we wrap up our time with you, at the beginning of our program today, we talked about the update on colonoscopies. Could you just go over that one more time? Because I feel like that's such great information if um, if someone missed it earlier, the new recommendations yeah. for that. So just a recent recommendation to at least consider colon cancer screening in patients age 45 to 50, so starting at an earlier age than we have typically recommended, age 45 instead of 50. Um, it's, it's, a, a, it's evolving evidence. Um, but it's, it's worth talking to your physician about if you are in that 45 to 50 age range, um, should you be someone who starts colon cancer screening a little earlier than you may be planned. Some of us may be a bit reluctant to go in for a colonoscopy. What do you tell your patients who are, who are not sure they want to do that? Yeah, I mean, so colonoscopy itself um, is generally a very low-risk procedure. Most of my patients tell me that the worst part of it is the prep the day before. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, that's true almost across the board that that's the, the downer. The procedure itself is pretty minor and, um, and quick and, you know, make people comfortable enough that they do okay. You know, there are other options for colon cancer screening, again, in average risk people. So if you don't have a family history and you've never had polyps, there are other um, options that you can talk to your doctor about. Those include some sorts of stool testing. Um, they have to be done more frequently. 
And if they're positive, we always say, well, if it's positive, then you definitely have to have a colonoscopy. So um, it's worth, there's a little conversation that should happen around that. I would say most of my patients still end up choosing to do colonoscopy for their screening method. Okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Evans, for this fantastic information today. It's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK, and we will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Stroke is the fifth leading cause of death in the United States. A stroke occurs when a clot blocks the blood supply to part of the brain or when a blood vessel in or around the brain burst. In either case, parts of the brain become damaged or die. Stroke can cause weakness or numbness of an arm or leg on one side of the body or even one side of the face. It can also affect speech, language, vision, memory, emotions, and behavior. Talk with your provider about stroke prevention. Call the Vera Medical Group Brookings at 697-9500 for an appointment. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth. Thank you for listening today on KBRK and on our podcast. Our Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast, so just look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. Before we sign off today, I wanted to provide an update to our local Brookings listeners regarding our COVID-19 vaccines. Um, in our community, we have been working hard, our community has been working hard to get people vaccinated. Um, as of Friday, it looks like uh, 39% of our total population has received at least one vaccine. Um, this is from a press release from Brookings Health System. So almost 40% of our population. Um, of course, we want to reach that, uh, keep growing that up to more like 70 or 90%. So um, still a lot of people to reach when it comes to getting a COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, we've had these pod opportunities uh, or these large events. Um, but as we uh, see less interest in that, uh, those will be wrapping up soon. And so they've asked that if you're looking for your opportunity for a COVID-19 vaccine, um, look to some more of those traditional places we look. Um, uh, talk to your clinic where you um, get care, or you can also reach out to many pharmacies in town who will continue to provide those COVID-19 vaccines uh, and all different types. Um, so if you prefer Moderna or the Johnson & Johnson or the Pfizer, there's they're all in town. So if you just haven't had a chance to schedule that vaccine for whatever reason, maybe now that we're on summer break, you feel like now's the time to get it. Um, you can look for those opportunities with the traditional places you go for your health care at the clinics and at the pharmacies in town. And as a reminder, um, we are able to get anyone age 12 and up now with a vaccine. So um, now that our kids are on summer break, perhaps you want to look for an opportunity to schedule that um, for your child as well. So continue to uh, get vaccinated out there, Brookings, and um, just a little bit of a change in how we can do that as, um, it becomes, as the vaccines become more available uh, throughout the community. Well, before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, May 27th, Prairie Doc host Dr. Andrew Ellsworth 
will meet with gastroenterologist Dr. Sarah Bly to discuss the importance of hearing what your gut is trying to tell you. So look for more information from Dr. Sarah Bly tomorrow night on SDPB television uh, at 7 p.m. Central. Or you can tune in on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. Or as always, if you miss an episode or you want to go back um, and look at other episodes, you can just go to the Prairie Doc website. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org. And look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.